On today's episode, we stalk each other on Facebook, sit down to watch some news, and pee into a robot? All that and more coming up. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Our Science. I'm your host as always, Alan Collier, and I'm joined today by Ian Black. Hello there, Alan. And Kyle Bine. Hi, why, Ian, are you alright? That was like the most depressed hello I've heard ever. Well, I, do you guys hear that? Do you, do you hear the people sing? Is it the Singing sound the song of... of angry men? Oh, I was going to say it's the sound of me not giving a fuck about your mood. Let's get to a podcast. <laughs> Our first article today comes from the University of Missouri. Facebook posts help facilitate belief that HPV vaccine is dangerous to health. Yeah, so HPV. HPV is the human... Oh, no. Papilloma. I didn't even look. Yeah. Pap... Is it just papillomavirus? Yeah, human yeah. papillomavirus. Anyways, <laughs> we've talked about this before, but like a long time ago. Specifically the human papillomavirus or specifically the fact that misinformation is easily spread over social media? Kind of both. We talked about the HPV vaccine, which we'll get to in a second. And we talked mm-hmm. about people not wanting to take it. And right, so it was we did, very much did, linked to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the H- HPV is the, most common, is the most common sexually transmitted infection in the U.S., and it's got stiff competition, so that's impressive. It's... <laughs> uh, you can't prove it wasn't. HPV is associated with health problems, including genital warts and cancers. Which are both things I don't want to get, for just right reason. I'm pretty sure I've made all these same... You just listen to the last episode we did in the HPV vaccine. They're all the same jokes. That's going to be all the same bits. <laughs> ha ha ha. Genital warts. We're nothing if not unoriginal. <laughs> I don't even remember what the old jokes are. I just know that my brain is going to work the same way with this. But this isn't this isn't about the disease. This is about the vaccine. The vaccine's been available since 2006. The CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., reports more than 12 years of data that supports the HPV vaccine being safe and effective, and yet vaccination rates still remain low. So that's sort of the, well, what gives? You have a solution. Why aren't you using it? Mm-hmm. Enter Facebook. As it is with most things. Literally, next sentence, social media has a history of being a popular place for sexual health discussions. Okay, I've identified the problem. Yeah. Yes. That was... that. And done. I love that sentence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's such a... Like... <laughs> hey, exactly where no one should be having this conversation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this whole study, because we've identified the problem of, well, why aren't people taking this vaccine? And, oh, it's social media's fault, because what isn't? This study, this study studied more than 6,500 public HPV vaccine-related posts on Facebook between 2006 and 2016. So just a big old load of, no pun intended, of HPV vaccine-related posts. Basically, what these researchers did was they read a Facebook post and they qualified it, whether it fell under, uh, you know, the, the heading of, uh, being misinformation or presenting, amplifying perceived risk or, uh, you know, being positive or negative or whatever their, <clears throat> whatever their themes ended up being. That's basically what happened. There's, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's two, I think there's two main parts to this. One is, is the, and I guess this is more on the quantitative side, which is that 40% of Facebook posts about the vaccine amplify the perceived risk so if you read it it would make you think that there is a higher risk to taking this vaccine than there actually is 
that was sort of step one, which is sort of easier just put everything in categories. And then the other part of it is that of those 40% that had an amplified risk, those posts also had more momentum over time. So they were more... They're more likely to trend. Yeah, than they were more... Uh, yeah, they got shown more. More people read them. More people saw them and it had more of an mm-hmm. impact than the others. Yeah, which they don't say here in the article, but I think we've, we've sort of seen this in our, our education and our research stuff is that it's because emotion has a lot to do with with how things are, are perceived and how well things sort of trend and, and go on social media. And a lot of if, if a post is talking about the HPV vaccine in a way that's positive, it's not necessarily going to be evocative of a lot of emotion, but something that is like fear mongering that like that's that's exciting. That's that's scary. That's something that people want to share because uh, it evokes an emotional response in them and evokes a fear response in them. Yeah, this the study itself stops basically once it says the two things I said. It, it sort of says this is what we were trying to find. This is what we found. We're, they're not going into too much the why of how that's happening. They were just here to find out what was happening. And then so this is our job of sort of speculating, well, why is this the case? Our job is to speculate wildly with no evidence. Using Kyle's no. education and my presence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is this is an example, Assistance. I think, and I think this is gonna be a common theme for this episode. This is an example of a study that really important, you know, glad that we've got the data, but also kind of, I mean, uh, you know, stop the presses. Uh, there's there's information on Facebook that's not trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, we I feel like we do that sort of like once an episode of like yeah no kidding this is the result, but it's still nice to have it like mentioned. It's still nice to say, hey. No, it's this... incredibly important that this research gets done. It's just it would it would be surprising if they didn't find this information rather than what they found is what I'm saying. Particularly, I did find it kind of interesting. Because most of the stuff I've heard about the HPV vaccine is that people talk about it in terms of um, sexual promiscuity in particular. Like, I, I don't often hear about the, you don't often hear about the the risks of the H, like, you hear about the risks of a lot of vaccine and, like, there's a huge anti-vax movement in many cases. But I've never really heard about people pushing a narrative that the HPV HPV vaccine is is dangerous or or has risks associated with it. I've, I I got my uh, HPV vaccine when I was attending a Catholic school, so you can imagine the narrative that was pushed on us. And I think that's what we actually talked about the first time we talked about HPV was the the perception that you know teens are going to be more sexually promiscuous. Yeah. If they get the vaccine, which wasn't backed up by anything, <laughs> not accurate because no. nothing gets those juices flowing, people. Yeah, like, fact, like, yeah. like a good is. vaccination. Hey, we yeah. said we wouldn't get, we weren't going to kink shame. Oysters, yeah. <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> step aside. We got I've got needles. the aphrodisiac for you. <laughs> this is also very topical, considering that the uh, COVID nineteen vaccine is as we speak. In the process of being rolled out, which they do talk about in the uh, they do in the paper, right next to the very smug image of the researcher. She's like, I don't yeah. think it's smug. I think it's like just that, like, yeah. I did Her this. eyebrows are amazing. <laughs> okay, I think it's I think it's a good amount of like, yeah. The other thing is that I, I like about this is that it's a sequel. Yeah. The title of this paper is from bad to worse two, risk amplification of the HPV vaccine on Facebook. Because she did another study. Um, 
that just identify that these Facebook pro these Facebook posts um, create a negative trend on Facebook. What? Oh, the you what? In a previous study, she used these Facebook posts to identify a negative trend on Facebook related to how people perceive the HPV vaccine. She used so Facebook like, posts to identify a trend on Facebook. How novel! I know. That's why I had to read it a couple of times. Like, really? How inspired! <laughs> I use Twitter posts to identify a trend on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, you could. It just seems redundant. You could, you could just say I used. No, I suppose it. I it's suppose fine. you don't have it's to say it. It's just, it's, just, it's just. It just reads weird. Yeah. Oh, I, I think. Okay, looking at the other one, it looks like it's the same data set for both studies. The first one. The first one was just saying, the the way that uh, HPV. HPV vaccines have been represented on Facebook has gotten worse over time. And then this second study was say, and this is how many of those posts are negative, And this is sort of how they are. They are more viral than, than non-negative posts. So the first one was just to say it's getting worse. And then this is why. So I, I have two I, comments. I have two comments I would like to make right now. Uh, the first is that this appears to have been written, or at least the contact information is in Eric, which I think is alarming because why are only Eric's? It seems that only Eric's are involved it? in writing in writing pop side pieces. Um, and the other thing I would like to say is that from now on, I wish all researchers, anytime they write uh, uh, like a paper that builds off something <laughs> they've already done, should label it like it's a sequel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think this is brilliant. I think this is how we should be doing it from now on. <laughs> Okay, uh, banner section. Have anything interesting happened in your two's lives? Two's lives? That can't be how you say that. Uh, let me see. I watched the second season of American Vandal. It was amazing. Okay. Have either of you seen that show? I Kyle, have please give me something better than that. Uh, or we can talk about how I just eat a no, pound no, of no, 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 no. I'm going to dive into this because this show is awesome. Okay. And you guys would both love it. Alan, no, you you don't realize how much I think you would like this show. I'm just going to look up stonks. (laughs) It is a mockumentary done in like, done as like a true crime drama where they, the, these two high school students are making a like documentary for their school, investigating the, uh, dick drawing vandal of the school (laughs) and trying to figure out who it is. You're off to a good start. (laughs) You're off to a good start with this. This the second season is, is the whole season about the same. Oh my god, it is. It's like, the whole it's like yeah, a true first season is just about right? them trying yeah. to. Yeah, it's like a true crime thing, but it's yeah, fake. Yeah, the it's brown complete. out number two. Yeah, the second one is about the, is about the the turd burglar. They're trying to find a guy who who's been putting laxatives in in like the cafeteria food. Oh no! <laughs> and it's done. It's done so hardcore professional. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm. I don't understand the rise of like, literally millions of true crime dramas podcasts documentaries it's it's netflix specials it's basically just making fun of that yeah 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 why are there so many do you need that many i feel like you could do this with like one maybe two i mean a lot of crime happens yeah and people 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 are interested and and it's it's the same it's the same reason why any documentary is successful it's good editing good writing like but it's but it's always the same genre well, it's yeah, always the same it's, it's, so is so is that's why there's like seven thousand CSI cop shows. Yeah, yeah. Why do people like crime so much? Because it's a mystery. Stop it. It's just a mystery. It's like it's like the yes. most basic narrative. You know, there's like a problem to solve. You got a plucky hero who 
puts the pieces together and the audience gets, gets killed. To, and the audience sees the pieces come together and gets to be like, ooh, I solved it before the person on the screen. I'm uh, so clever. I hate like I hate like ninety percent of cop shows. Did you get up to anything, Kyle? I went to the dentist. I have to get all my wisdom teeth removed. That'll be fun. Oh. Are you getting them all done and, in one or, or uh, the I still have to consult with a dental surgeon, but after meeting with my dentist, he's like, I would like I could maybe take one out in house, but I would really recommend you just get knocked the fuck out and get all your teeth taken out. So I get told I got, I got told once that like my wisdom teeth might cause a problem. And I decided For you or that for society? <laughs> for both. And I decided if I didn't think about it, they'd probably go away. And I haven't thought about them and they haven't done any harm to me, so um okay our second paper of the day comes from the university of pennsylvania new study finds that delivering the news with humor makes young adults more likely to remember and share so we're all we're all young adults hey debatably yeah. i mean their sa- their audience range was 18 to 34 we're all in that yay we're all in that yeah yeah, yeah. look at us young uh, adults us, <laughs> us millennials yeah, because I like that they, the first, the the more traditional newscast that they reference at the beginning of this is Walter Cronkite, Tom Brokaw, and Dan Rather, which are, are fine, but it's just, you're not wrong. Well, I, I, I uh, this was actually one of the papers where, like, I reading it, I was like, you know, this makes sense. I'm not surprised they found what they found. But also, I didn't, it didn't occur to me until reading it that there's sort of been a trend towards... Yeah, so they mentioned that in the early decades of televised news, Americans turned to the stern faces of newsmen like Walter Cronkite, Tom Brokaw, and Dan Rather, and then the rise of comedy news programs helmed by Jon Stewart, Stephen Colbert, John Oliver, Trevor Noah, Samantha Bee. Uh, like, I logically was aware, like, okay, yeah, this is a, a thing that has sort of happened more and more of, but I didn't really make the connection until reading it in front of me, and I was like, oh, yeah, right. I I don't really I I I consume most of my news through like comedy news programs. Like if I actually watch the news, I watch it through that. Uh, most I like I, I I read like news articles on Twitter and like I I look up stuff on the CBC and stuff, but if I actually want to like watch the news, I watch comedy news programs. Certainly certainly with American news. Like I'm not like when it comes to Canadian news, I I you know what do we got? This hour is twenty-two minutes, and and I think the Beaverton is a show now. I think I don't know who watches TV these days. I don't know, um, but like we had our own up here, you know. Uh, uh, well, we had we had Rick Mercer. Rick Mercer, yeah, but the Rick Mercer report got very news light. He wouldn't like do a deep dive the way Trevor Mr. Noah does or John Stewart does. No, or John Oliver. Or John like, Oliver, yeah. yeah. Yeah, really blurs the line. So this is what the study is looking at. It's like, what's is it more effective to be humorous? Or more perfect, uh, more effective to do the more traditional thing, mm-hmm. and not and, surprisingly, they found that being humorous does help. Which well, and like, I can, is... and they mentioned too, like a lot of the push when this first, when a lot of people started to do more comedy news, there was like this big push of like, you know, you can't mix your entertainment with your news. You're making light of it; people aren't going to listen to it. But like, people remember more news if it's tied to humor. Like they were able to explicitly show that in the study that. If if they presented, uh, I believe the way they did it is they presented them a whole series of of news clips, some of them with punchlines and some without, 
and the people who got the the humorous news stories were able to remember more information they were more likely to share it and their brain actually showed more activity in terms of like actually being able to like think and feel and react to things yeah would you like to know more in detail how they did it yes they stuck people in an mri and they're listening to six to 18 second video clips simulating a television news segment with two professional comic actors playing the news anchors one of them is doing a very traditional script like you would hear on a normal newscast and the other is reading humorous versions of the same news that are written by a quote-unquote professional comedy writer i googled him i didn't recognize any of his stuff but (laughs) okay well sucks to be him then so they're, well, they're that, in the that, MRI. That, that just supports his claim that he's a comedy writer. In my That's opinion. true, actually, yeah. <laughs> they're in the MRIs. They're listening to these bits, either comedy or not comedy. or Well, they're listening to both. They get, a, you know, they get a share of both. Then they do a distractor task, 20 minutes of arithmetic problems, with the example given being 12 times 54, which is going to take you about 19 of those minutes. Then they do a recall test, where they list the policies that were mentioned in the news clips, a recognition test is like, are these new thing? Are these news stories? Is this an old policy, a new policy they're talking about? Like seeing if they can go beyond more than just recalling, and then a sharing phase. But how likely would they would be to share this clip on social media? And they also have a list, and we'll probably put this on social media. They have a list of like the humorous and the non-humorous news stories. So, uh, give uh, us for give, example, yeah, give us like yeah, a, you want an example of the humorous one? Well, is are they like parallel to each other? Like, is yeah, it the same so, story? So there's there's two sentences. The first sentence I'll read is shared between the humorous and the non-humorous, and then the punchline at the end is obviously only the humorous. So the state will will soon shift taxes from small business owners onto homeowners. Honey and kids, if you're watching this at home, I think now would be a good time to incorporate. I'll see you at home. I mean the office. <laughs> Professional comedy writer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> One thing that's arguably the best of them. One thing I do like about this article, like the actual article that like the the SciComm article here, not the paper itself, is that they gave you a sample of the video footage that these people they do, watched, yes. which I loved. Boy, is it not funny. No, it's not funny, but I like I appreciate that they gave us one of the examples. Like like you actually got to see what the what this what the um what the uh, the people who participated saw. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate that too. I was Would it skew their data if people were less likely to share because the comedy still sucks? Well, I mean, it's 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 in a scientific study. Like, I think yeah. it's it's not that bad. It's not, and it's not that bad. I've heard worse. I've heard worse. Yeah. None of none of these were deep fried, so the zoomers aren't gonna like them. <laughs> none of these are secretly Tide Pods, so <laughs> the younger <laughs> generations aren't going to ingest them. Um, remember when that was the public health crisis we had to worry about? Yeah. Those, Those were the days. days. Yeah. Anyways. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's basically it. And not surprisingly, your brain lights up and is more stimulated when you have a humorous res- aspect to it. And you're more likely to share things when they're humorous. And then throughout all the study, they, they remembered and recalled and everything was better when it's a funny clip. I mean, there's nothing... Again, this is, like I was saying before on the previous paper, this is research. I'm glad it was done. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like, yeah, this makes total sense. Of course, uh, a, a comedic rendition of the same information or, or uh, information delivered correctly and then like a comedic twist to it at the end is going to be more enjoyable. What's more fun to watch, a, a funny presentation or a 
serious presentation. Well, like it's, I'm really, yeah, it's I'm injecting really glad fun it's, into the news. Which I'm I mean, really glad. That, yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad that this is the way things are going because, like, like to me, this is super obvious. And also, like, I'm really glad that we're starting to put humorous twists and everything because, and I mean, I, this maybe this is the negative, but like, people aren't going to care unless it's entertaining them. Like, we just we're stimulated just by everything. So if something isn't entertaining us, we're like, well, why am I doing this when I can do something that is entertaining? Because those options are always around us. Well, I think there's. There's a time and a place for both of them, though. Like, no, uh, only humor, only comedy. Well, but it, it's there. I like, I appreciate having the experience of like experiencing a news story where it's told in a very serious fashion, and like, like my my brain thinks of of stuff and like commentary, or whatever. And then you watch something like Trevor Noah, where he's making those comments, and he's like making this social commentary, and it's humorous. And you're like, I thought these things too. This is funny. Like it's. It, it becomes more of a shared social experience, but it's, it's, I don't know, it, it, it's nice to sort of get both of those lens on the news sometimes. Com- I would say comedy is more effective at getting your point across, yeah. whether or not that's whether better not, overall whether or not, whether for or not, society. Yeah, whether, I, think it, I think it is, personally, but that's, beca- that's because we're currently in essentially a 24-hour news cycle. We yes. can get the serious information yeah. anytime we want. Yeah. Like... Yeah. And we're choosing not to because I know I'm choosing not to. Well, we, we are and we aren't. Like I mean, I open up Facebook and I get hit with about a dozen CBC stories, just pop up on my news. I well, you and and you're told about how bad the HPV vaccine is. Are there, are there conservative equivalents? Because like all the all the examples they listed were like all fairly left leaning. Well, the, the conservative comedians. the conservative direction often doesn't go comedic. It often goes more in the lines of, you know aggressive and, and fear-mongering in my yeah experience. i mean we're also biased because we are all liberal so we probably there could be conservative things that we just aren't aware of or may not find funny ourselves so this is true we yeah we're not gonna yeah. like it doesn't mean i would agree that they're not as prominent because like i think the names john stewart stephen colbert john oliver are all really well known samantha b where, as well and yeah trevor noah yeah yeah and and more so like i couldn't name you i don't know is alex jones comedy yet like at what point does that cross the board well it's his is ironic like, I, like he's yeah it's not haha funny but it sure is funny <laughs> he's what i think of when i think of like left-leaning the ideal male body <laughs> <laughs> non-serious uh no left lean or, or right-leaning non-serious news. but here is that the the right wing i think because the right wing media at least that i'm aware of tends to be almost ironically like anti-authoritarian like it's it's the rebel right it's like i'm gonna say the things that they're not gonna let me say and we're speculating a lot here and i'm sure there have been studies on on comedy in terms of and we've strayed way off of topic of what this paper is about yeah because we kind of funny funny news you remember longer yeah, which yeah. isn't surprising, and well, and their like, audience is probably also fairly left leaning. And this is specifically in young adults too. Yeah, yeah. So this may not like older generations may not be as influenced, may not share things as much if it's funny. Maybe they do. We don't know because this what's not what the study was. My Baba thinks Trevor Noah is charming, so you know. Well, who knows? ain't that great? I'll well, he is. Have you seen his smile? It's delightful. He's he's so charming. Our third and final article of the day comes from Eureka Alert. Cancer can be precisely diagnosed using a urine test with artificial intelligence. Now, a couple things to clear up. We're talking about prostate cancer, and the urine doesn't have artificial intelligence. The test has artificial intelligence. (laughs) 
So. Well, this study was specifically on prostate cancer, but they do think that it could be extrapolated to other forms of cancer. Yeah, so we're going to do a, a tradition, a somewhat traditional thing here, which is we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about how this is really cool, and then we're going to, well, piss all over it and talk about why it's probably not going to be yeah. as no, cool as I love, I love the research, but man, <laughs> I, got, I, I got some nitpicks. <laughs> no, this, this came because um, a bunch of researchers were enjoying their morning glass of urine, and they thought they detected some cancer in it. So... They said, you know what can solve this problem? Artificial intelligence. This, okay, we're going so to pee, about... pee on Alexa and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, Alexa. <laughs> Tell me what this, this so research sweet. is about, Alan. <laughs> okay, it's, it's all about PSAs, which are prostate-specific antigens, and then those turn into cancer factors, which is a cancer-related biological index that can measure and evaluate drug reactivity. You know what? This sentence is meaningless because there's so much jargon, and I'm not going to finish it. Just out of principle. Yeah. It's a thing that is found in your body when you have cancer. Yeah, basically. It's it's ways it's the ways of identifying cancer before you would know normally that you have cancer. Which is what we're, like they're hunting for with any cancer is like how do we detect this early enough to stop it? Yeah. However, the traditional method is only 30% accurate, which is pretty shitty. Garbage. Yeah. yeah. Steaming garbage. <laughs> it's pretty so you know there's you might as well room. just spin a wheel there's clearly room for improvement here mm-hmm. and and when it's not accurate you have to undergo an invasive biopsy which is when they open you up and cut out the fleshy bits and see if there's cancer in them and that can have a whole slew of complications but i like my but i like my fleshy bits kyle yeah well they're gonna they're gonna cut them out and look for the cancer um so the idea is that you take these urine samples and you run them through this trained artificial intelligence and using this hypersensitive urine-based biosensor made of urine for you and <laughs> from urine, they are able to detect these minute amounts of cancer factors, these these little markers that they're looking for. With, with much higher accuracy than with the... With diagnosis accuracy of over 90%. Yeah. Which is so and much better. Because and I think one of the things that they note, too, is that uh, most tests that currently exist only can detect, like, one of these cancer factors. They basically created this AI to simultaneously look for, like, four different ones, I believe, which contributes to its its accuracy. Yeah, the diagnosis of prostate cancer by utilizing the AI analysis successfully detected 76 urinary samples with almost 100% accuracy. I love this sentence. I love it. I love it because what it's saying is that the AI successfully detected 70, like they gave them 76 samples. And the AI was like, yep, that's urine. That's urine. <laughs> yep. As soon that as right there, that is, some, into that. that is some urine. I mean, it's not what they urine meant detected. to say, but it's what. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you started saying that, I was like, oh, yeah. 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 I see that. Yep. Yep. That's. <laughs> Research, it's going to be detected. Yep, that's urine. But also, it could only do it almost 100% of the time. So there are other times where it's like, this might huh. be urine, every guys. Now, every now and you then. Fool? One of them's apple juice. Nine, nine out of ten AIs agree, this is urine. <laughs> I, I really hope that this is the AI that turns sentient. Like, this is the one. This is like, the one that not, kills us. This, it's not Cyberdyne, it's this. It's like... Need more urine. <laughs> Give me your pee. 
Okay, okay, okay. To be clear, what this sentence meant is that it's detecting cancer. Well, the, the diagnosis of prostate cancer was successfully detected. It's just, it's just so funny the way they phrased it. Yeah, urine's a funny thing. Uh, they say <laughs> urine a lot in this article. They, do. <laughs> they, yeah, they really do. Like, do. The urine, the urine per paragraph count is much higher than the other two papers. I'm, I, I haven't done, I haven't crunched the numbers, but I'm, I feel pretty safe saying that. Those are the two things that I, I thought were really funny. Outside of that, it's, I mean. It's a, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a better way of detecting cancer, and, and that's something It's more that effective, I, and you, you can get it in like 20 minutes, and they don't have to go inside your butt. Sir, the tests have come back positive. I have cancer? No, you just have urine. <laughs> You've got pee. <laughs> You've got urine. Um, so here's why this <laughs> Except that one guy, they're like, we're not, sh- we're not sure, that's actually. That's just pure apple juice. <laughs> Sir, you, you have Schrodinger's urine. It may or may not be urine. <laughs> Here is why this, you should hold your horses on this being too exciting. Like, it's it's good, but let's calm down. Well, one thing is that the sample size is 76, which sounds better than it probably is, because I'm sure this was done where they're selecting for a very specific group that doesn't have these outlying factors because they're trying to limit variables, right? And, and... There's a couple things. The AI is being trained to look for it. So as soon as the AI isn't going to encounter more variables, it's going to run into more problems. Because it's been trained very specifically to look in like this type of sample set because that's what it was learning on. Once you get outside that sample set, it may still work. We don't know. Also, prostate cancer isn't like just a universal thing. There's a scale of prostate cancer called the Gleason score. Um... And it's anywhere from 6 to 10, with 10 being real bad and 6 being like, well, it's still not great, but at least you know 10. Why does it start at 6? I don't... Because fuck you, Kyle, that's why. Yeah, yeah, fuck you, that's why. No, you can do 6 or less. 6 or less describes, like, cancer cells that look similar to normal cells, and so, like, your normal butt looks like a 5 to 1. And then, like, 6 is like, hmm... Um... So that like we got to take that into account. Like, there's a lot of variables that this AI still needs to encounter before we can say it's like super effective. He's learning. He just yeah. learned to identify urine, guys. Okay, we got to give him some time. Yeah, because this is this is the type of thing where like these AI being able to detect cancer is something that comes out fairly frequently. Apparently, I went to Reddit for this, but like that's not an uncommon thing. A guy called BioNerd, so you know he must be right says that unfortunately these type of articles are a dime a dozen. These are papers using to a, using AI to di- diagnose cancer out almost every week. They all suffer from overtraining and then fail when validated with an expanded data set. So we're not saying this can't work, but like this, getting to this stage in research isn't uncommon. It's the next step that's going to be like the big test for AIs like this and any other AI that you're trying to do. Certainly, but the more, the more that you produce research like this and the more we advance AI technology, like even if this isn't going to be the AI that ends up, you know, detecting prostate cancer when you pee in a cup, the, the AI that is going to do that is going to in some way be inspired or based off of or, or influenced by this research. I'm, I'm as, Wayne Gretzky, as Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the year and you don't run through an AI program. So... He went through a weird phase after he left hockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, yeah. Really urine-based. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you play in Edmonton for that long, you know, things happen to you. Yeah. 
I, I don't have anything else to add to this. It's it's a fascinating little bit of research. It, uh, it it's nice to see something like I like. I, I like seeing the globalization of it too. It's always refreshing to see you know research coming from other countries that's being shared and spread and and whatnot. Um, but aside from that, I mean, what what else to say? It, it yeah, it's, it's fine. It's a cool. It's a nice little precursor to other research that will probably be more exciting the final paragraph uses the word urine three times yeah i was not a fan of the final paragraph because they just crammed two quotes from two different people in the same paragraph and i just i'm not a fan of that they say urine they don't just say urine they say urine test yeah twice in the same sentence (laughs) yeah it's a back-to-back urine attack and that's all the time we have today if you'd like to check out our urine samples then check us out on twitter at our signs pod on twitter why do i always do that 43 episodes and i always do that i always just say twitter twice check us out on twitter on twitter it's our our signs pod just go go to there go do it but where now where do, what yeah what site what are platform, we what platform will i find that on alan hey you know what you're that, smart you can figure it out is that on twitter twitter um as always we're partnered with science everywhere although after listening to this who knows if they're gonna be happy about that they're an events and media company down in Toronto. I have no idea what they're doing. Go check them out at Where Is Science on Twitter and Twitter and Instagram. And uh, follow them at Freestyle Social SE on Instagram. Uh, oh, as always, like, comment, subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss an episode. These come out every other week. Um, who knows what we'll be about next week? Not us. Hopefully more urine. For, uh, for Kyle and Ian, I'm Alan. Get out. <laughs> Is that you want that to be the sign off? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure, do it. Get the hell out of my podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Toodle pip.